This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast, the first in a while. It's uh, great to be back. It's great to be talking Yankees baseball again. It's great to be seeing Yankees baseball again. I am John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me on the phone right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. How you doing, Al? I'm doing great. I'm just like you, so excited uh, about the 2022 season, probably more so than, than any other season in a long time. They made us wait for it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be worth the wait. Well, for sure. This episode certainly will be worth the wait. It's our first one since mid-November. Al, we are going to talk about our spring issue, which is going to be coming out this weekend when the Yankees start their spring training schedule. The first home game is Sunday, March 20th, and that's the first day you can pick up this really special issue of Yankees Magazine. We're also going to have Brian Hoke from MLB.com joining us a little bit later to talk about what he's seeing in Tampa and give us a little preview because, Al, you're about to head down to Tampa. I'm going down in a few weeks. And like I said, starting on Sunday, Yankees fans, you can turn on the Yes Network and watch Yankees baseball again. It's been a long time. Al, we always get really excited when it comes time to put out that spring issue. I think we really feel great about this one, both because of obviously we don't need to get into it too much, the process that we had to all sit through and wait through and endure, but also this is a particularly special issue. We we, we made a little history on our cover. We did. Um, you know, Rachel Balkovic being the first uh, female manager of an affiliated team, uh, you know, you and I spoke uh, with Nathan McBorsky for a while. And I shouldn't even say for a while, for a short period of time, it became obvious that that was going to be our cover subject, uh, that she was by far the most appropriate person to put on the cover of the first issue of 2022. It's hard to imagine being as excited about a cover story. And you did a great job really putting it in its historical context, talking about what this you know, promotion means to baseball, what it means to women, what it means to the world, what it means to the Yankees, all of those different elements are, are part of this story. Uh, the portrait of Rachel that's on the cover, just I, I just think it speaks volumes about where the Yankees organization is and where, you know, the world is. And it's it's a great thing. And it's, it's just really exciting. And look, we'll get to a lot of that stuff. I think in our next episode, actually, because that story is going to go online in a couple of weeks. But for right now, what I'd really love to talk about is, look, you know, th- there are times. Like You're going to keep us waiting, John? You're going to keep us waiting? That's what I'm excited to talk about. So I got to wait a couple of weeks. Okay, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks. You know, leave them wanting more showmanship. Look, you know, Rachel Balkovich, like we said, that's a unique situation. We decided to put her on the cover. We felt great about it. There's another guy who 
frankly, we could write a story about him in every single issue. We could write three stories about him in every issue. We could put him on every single cover and every single inside page, and that's Aaron Judge. Al, you did a Q&A with Aaron for uh, the spring issue. It's the first story going online. You can check it out on yankees.com slash magazine now, and I hope you will. It's called Running Down a Dream, and I think that's a pretty uh, accurate headline for what the story is because, man, that's the story of Aaron's life, isn't it? He's been running down that dream since he was a little kid, John, and, and that dream is, is being fulfilled now every day You know that he comes to work as the right fielder and, and all-star slugger of New York Yankees. And what was really interesting in our, our conversation uh, from a couple months ago was, you know, just how poignant he was about the small things in life, wearing the pinstripes, working out every day with his teammates, being a part of the New York Yankees organization, looking down on his chest and seeing that interlocking NY. Playing for the Yankees means a lot to him. Uh, I, I didn't, you know, I've heard stories about how much it means to him. I didn't realize that it meant really quite as much as it does, in fact, until I really was able to kind of focus on that for quite a while in this conversation. And, um, you know, he's a he's an incredible hard worker. He reminds me so much of Derek Jeter in the sense that he's putting up amazing numbers and performances and, and all that every year and never satisfied with it. And not just saying that in terms of like a cliche, like he'll tell you exactly what he's not satisfied with. You know, he batted 287 in an era when people really aren't doing that anymore. And he talked about how disappointed he was that he's not batting, you know, that he didn't bat 300. He's got a lot more to give, and, and it's just going to be going to be really exciting continuing to, to watch him play. You know, I mentioned, Al, that we could write about Aaron Judge in every single issue, and you and I have both done it plenty of times. One of the challenges that comes with that is you need to find a new thing to say, kind of. What I loved about this Q&A is... <laughs> I don't want to say you went out of your way because as I'll get to, it's kind of a necessary function of interviewing Aaron Judge. It's a whole lot easier to get him to talk about other people than it is to talk about himself. And, you know, I remember a couple of years back, I did a story about him at Fresno State and I talked to the baseball coach there, Mike Batesall, and he told me that he would find players if in interviews they referred to themselves or said I or me or anything like that, they would get fined. And I was like, oh, it's your fault then. <laughs> You're the reason that we can't get Aaron Judge to talk about himself at all. And he laughed at that, but it's really true. So to bring it back to this story, Al, you you have him talking less about himself and a lot about the guys around him, a lot about Giancarlo Stanton, a lot about Aaron Boone, a lot about you know some of the other teammates he's loved playing with over the years. And I think that was clearly, as you'll see when you read it, a conscious choice. And it's a great way to get a lot out of Aaron. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I, the first thing is I, I love doing Q&As with guys like Aaron Judge. You know, as much as I relish in, you know, writing long form features and, and really being able to kind of put my own stamp on it, so to speak, this was really just about the conversation. And, you know, for whatever reason, I can, you know, I, I'm, I'm able to get him, you know, to try to, to really talk, uh, you know, candidly in some ways. And you're right. One of the ways to do that is to get him to talk about guys on the roster and particularly guys that he's really close with. And, and Giancarlo Stanton, you know, naturally, we all think that they're, they're close because they have some similarities. They're both superstar players. They're both kind of larger than life 
figuratively and literally, but they really do have quite a bond that they formed, you know, just over the last couple of years, they really do help each other. You know, Giancarlo has been in the majors a little bit longer than Aaron, but he really, you know, explained to me how much he does lean on him and how much better their team is when they're both in the lineup. Those are things we all assume and things we all kind of surmise and say, but to hear it right from him so eloquently and candidly was really special. It was just fun having him talk about the dynamic between him and Giancarlo and, you know, and, and things like that just get me very, very excited about the season and, and those two guys in the lineup as well. If you look at baseball players in general, and, and, and we can go into all the many reasons for this, certainly starting back to, you know, some of the mores, if you will, of youth baseball and this idea that it's all about the team and that no one player can do anything. And look, there's reality there because more than any other sport, baseball is about failure. Baseball is about, you know, just where your spot in the order comes up. And frankly, if you're not at the plate at that moment, you can't do anything to help the offense. You can't do the small things while you're sitting on the bench to help your team win. So, you know, it's it's not like being a shooting guard setting a pick for the big man who scores or, you know, a left tackle block in the NFL where maybe your thing doesn't show up in the box score, but everyone knows what you did. The fact of the matter is if you're the number three hitter in the order and the number seven hitter in the order is up, you are not doing anything at that moment to win the game. And I think that obviously is a function of why baseball players are often more reserved and and they show less of themselves because I think a lot of them are brought up with this sense that you are simply one part of this team. And with that said, every time I watch, you know, an NBA game or just follow an NBA player on Twitter or Instagram and see all the personality there, I always do wish that we could get more out of certain guys. And by all means, there are there are Yankees players who have larger than life personalities, and sometimes that's for better, and sometimes that's for worse. But yeah, I, I know again from being around Aaron Judge since you know late 2016, but certainly 2017 when he broke out, from really doing in depth stories with him. You know that he's a funny guy. You know that he's a fun guy and an interesting guy and that there is a competitive fire that burns in there. You know that he's a popular team and all these things. I would love to know what a less reserved Aaron Judge looks like. I would love to know what Aaron Judge is like when he just cuts loose in some ways. And, you know, again, I I, I feel like I'm, maybe I'm repeating myself a little bit here. I think you do see that when he's talking about other people. I think you do see how interesting he is and how competitive he is and how fiery he is. But it, it, it always goes back to the same thing with Derek Jeter. Like one of the things about Aaron Judge that makes him great but also impossible is he just knows the right answer at that moment. And sometimes you don't want the right answer. Sometimes you want the fun answer, the funny answer, the interesting answer. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, you know, of all the interviews I've done with them uh, and, and all the stories I've done with them, and, and obviously I think that's three or four at this point, something like that. This was the most candid he ever was with me, not only about other players, but even about himself. Because he was Candid with you, about- maybe didn't mention that he was getting married like a week after your conversation. So it's not like he was an open book exactly. I knew that he was, so I... Yeah. <laughs> That was something that we kind of joked about off the off the tape, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, he was a little bit more candid about himself. But you know, even the answer, besides the one about Giancarlo, but even the you know the, the comments he made about Brett Gardner, you know, you would have thought, you know, by kind of listening to him talk about Brett Gardner, that they were best friends since they were like seven years old or something like that. I mean, he talked so in such an in-depth manner about what Brett Gardner meant to those teams over the years that I don't know that I could have interviewed anybody and gotten better commentary about Brett Gardner than what I got from Aaron. 
I think obviously it's somewhat blasphemous on a Yankees magazine, anything, a Yankees anything, the Yankees magazine podcast, certainly part of that, to say anything that might come off as negative about Derek Jeter. Um, one thing that I will say, though, and, and you know, I, I covered the Yankees for a long time when, when Jeter was there, and there was no question that Jeter was the captain. There was no question that Jeter had his finger on the pulse of everything with that team. But I will say... It wasn't always the loosest clubhouse to, to work in. And, and and certainly there's part of this that's old school things and somewhat. But, you know, the younger players in those years, even even just, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, it was a little bit harder to get the younger players out of their shell. And, I, and I, I've always personally, I don't know what you think, I've always personally felt that CC Sabathia played a huge role in this. You know, Derek Jeter leaves, there's no official captain, but obviously we know who the leaders of that team are from 2015 on, you know, CC and certainly guys like, you know, Brett Gardner, like you mentioned, whatever. But one thing that I noticed from really about that point on was young players just had a little bit more free reign. I always remember when Glaber Torres came in, just seeing him in spring training, walking around, very comfortable, not feeling he had to be too quiet. You know, for all that we ever said about Clint Frazier back in the day, that was almost the outlier where a player was being told to maybe calm down. And I always will say part of what makes great players great is their comfort level. And, and, and their confidence and their ability to be comfortable in their skin. And when you watch Aaron Judge, as we both have since 2016, the reality is, I think as much as of it is that he was that comfortable and that able to take a leadership role in the clubhouse as a young player, he was also allowed to. And I think he was allowed to by guys like CeCe Sabathia. He was encouraged to. I, uh, you know, he, he was a guy who would speak for the team when he was like three years into his career. And, and I don't think you saw that 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And I think that's a very special thing. And I, I think that he is a big part of not just setting the tone on the field, but setting the personality of that clubhouse, because I think that he benefited from it. And I think the team benefited from it too, from letting him be himself and letting him, you know, uh, stupid things, controlling the music as a rookie. Like that didn't happen when, when, when we started covering the sport. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I think for one, you know, obviously, like you said, it, it, I'm never going to criticize anything that Derek Jeter did. He won five championships. He's the greatest player, uh, greatest athlete I've ever been around. And also probably the, the greatest leader, I would say, too. But it was a different type of leadership. It was maybe more suited for the late 90s, early 2000s. You know, trends change, things change, and sometimes they change for the better. And you know, I don't know if this is better or just different. But yeah, Derek Jeter was there for a long, long time, two, two decades. And during that period of time, lots of players came up after him. So, you know, other than 1996 and 1997 or whatever, everybody who came up was basically younger than him. And he was the senior guy. And I don't know that he prevented people from being open or not. I think he just occupied that seat as the captain. You know, he just kind of sat in the front row, so to speak, and anyone else had to sit behind him. Okay, and, and let me rephrase that. I'm not saying that he actively did anything. I'm simply saying that when, if there might have been a leadership vacuum in 2015 when he left, yeah. I think one of the things that CC and Brett Gardner did was very, very consciously empower young players to you know, help fill that in ways that prior to that, it had been the veterans filling that. And, and that's, again, that's not a knock on Jeter as much as it is my feeling that I don't think that five years earlier, a player like Aaron Judge would have been controlling the music in the clubhouse yeah. in the way that he was as a rookie. Yeah, and that, and that, no, that's I, I agree. It, it would have taken more time. And, you know, the great thing about Aaron Judge was he 
came, it was like the perfect storm of, of all good things, right? It was kind of a, a, a new face of the organization that was maybe needed a couple of years after Derek Jeter left. You know, I'm not going to call like 2015 and 16 kind of like hangover years, but it, it was a little bit of a hangover from, you know, the era of Jorge Posada and Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter and Andy Pettit and those guys leaving, you know, in those two years, I think we, you know, we played in one playoff game if I'm not mistaken, and didn't win it, lost to the Houston Astros. And that's fine. They were good teams. They were special years nonetheless. I think every year in Yankees history has something special about it. But Aaron Judge was a was a really – him coming in and doing what he did in 2017 from a leadership standpoint and from a performance standpoint, it, it was the perfect time. The other thing I always talk about, I just said this, you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, I just kind of made the same comment about our prospect, Anthony Volpe, who I, who I interviewed right around the same time I, I spoke to Aaron. But I'll share this comment about Derek Jeter, who I interviewed a lot of times. And although I wasn't around him when he was 20 years old, I knew a lot about him. You know, I researched enough about him and read enough stories from, from people who have interviewed him when he was that age having interviewed Anthony Volpe, who's 20 years old, and having been around Aaron since he was about that same age. My first story that I did with Aaron was with the Rail Riders. One thing that I see as really a common thread between all three of these guys is how unbelievably mature they were or are at 20 years old. Um, and it really, and those are, the, those are the only three I can mention in that same breath. And that's something about Aaron that I think he was ready to kind of take that place because he was so, so, so mature. And I think that, you know, you're talking about special people. I think sometimes there are certainly athletes who their greatness is simply in the fact that they are able to perform that sport well. And then I think there are the larger than life characters, if you will. So we'll talk about Jeter, we'll talk about Aaron Judge, who just have the presence about them on top of everything else. And, you know, it's not for nothing that I feel like the first time Derek Jeter ever spoke with a script of any kind was his Hall of Fame speech. Otherwise, he would always be the person who was given the microphone as they were closing Yankee Stadium, given the microphone as they had to honor a player or memorialize a player. And he just would speak extemporaneously and say the exact right thing. And I don't think that's random that the guy who was able to be so ice cold in his veins um, on the field in the biggest moments could also do that. And I feel the same way about Aaron Judge. I think those are similar skills in a lot of ways. The same thing that lets someone be unfazed in game seven of a playoff series is what lets them get a microphone after playing that game and address the crowd and know the right thing to say without having to plan it out beforehand. I think there is a confidence that carries over between those two things. And who knows what the future holds with Aaron Judge or anything like that. But you mentioned Anthony Volpe. Obviously, that's super early. But the reason that Aaron Judge is talked about with Derek Jeter is not just because of what he does on the field. It's because of the way he has carried himself at all times. And just this sense that he has a level of control over his body, all parts of it, that is rare. And I think that it's it's been a very interesting and look, not always an easy thing to write about, but it's been a very interesting thing to watch over these years. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, you know, when you talk about Derek Jeter memorializing players and people and all that stuff, I mean, the one that, that I'll just say stands out just to kind of add this to the conversation the most is when he did that beautiful tribute to George Steinbrenner after he passed away in, in 2010. And I mean, I talk about needing to be have ice water in your veins. It wasn't just a former player who had retired. It was, you know, the person who for, you know, decades had been the patriarch of the organization. 
well, that was an important one. And he, same thing. He was he was amazing. But um, yeah, I, I agree. You know, the, the comparisons to Derek Jeter about Aaron Judge started really, really early. And that's a lot of pressure just in and of itself because of what Derek Jeter meant to this organization. He is Mickey Mantle. He is Joe DiMaggio. He is all of those guys, you know, and, and in some ways more because of the way he played and carried himself. And Aaron Judge never shied away from that. Uh, I don't know that he probably loves being compared to Derek Jeter, but it's never it's never affected him, that's for sure. Uh, special people, you know, Derek's the most probably special person I ever worked with, and, and Aaron Judge is, is certainly the most fantastic special guy on this team now that we have the opportunity to be around. The Q&A is fantastic. It's called Running Down a Dream. It is up on yankees.com slash magazine. It feels good saying that again. Al, this has been great uh, chatting about this, and it's really just great to be talking about Yankees Magazine again, to have Yankees Magazine out. It is the best part of spring for us, and obviously, while things are a little hectic right now as we try to get ready for opening day coming uh, coming up on us a little quicker than normal, and, and I'm sure that people care more about the players getting ready for opening day coming up a little quicker than normal, but it is an absolute joy to be back in the rhythm and back doing what uh, we love doing and, and and what we're grateful to be doing. More, more grateful this year, I think, than ever before. I feel the same way. It's going to be a bumpy ride here for a couple of weeks. Not that, not that our listeners care or should care. Uh, we're going to put out some great publications like we always do. That's a tribute to you, to Nathan, to Ari, to Barry, our, our whole publications crew. But same, I, I just feel you know, feel very blessed that we're doing our jobs because you know it's it's a weird thing when you go through the pandemic, when you go through you know what, what we recently did you know over the last couple months. And obviously, there's far greater tragedies than than anything that that we've dealt with. But it's uh, it's stressful, and now it feels that much better that we're that we're doing this stuff, and it's it's fantastic. So everyone should look for the newest issue of Yankees Magazine at George M. Steinbrenner Field this weekend and throughout spring training. If you're a subscriber, you can certainly expect to get in the mail soon. If you're not a subscriber, you should subscribe, or you can just call eight hundred go Yanks or go to Yankees.com/publications to pick up the issue. We are going to be back real quick with MLB.com's Brian Hoke, so stick with us. But uh, Al, thanks for chatting, and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Hi, this is Garrett Cole. 
You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. It is incredible to be talking Yankees baseball again, and it is particularly incredible to welcome back an old friend, Brian Hoke, Yankees beat reporter for MLB.com. Brian, it's been too long. How are you doing? I would say it's been about 99 days too long, John. Yeah, good to be back with you. Good to be in Tampa covering Yankee spring training. I'm looking forward myself to getting down there in a couple of weeks, I guess, whatever it is. Enlighten me. It's strange. This is the first time in two years, I feel, and this maybe is too much inside baseball, pun intended. There's no Zoom press conferences. There's no virtual access. So when I'm not there, you know, in, in recent years, it's kind of been like, okay, I, I, I can I can stay abreast of what's happening right now. Right now, I feel lost uh, other than refreshing Twitter like everyone else. So tell me, what's going on at Yankees camp? Yeah, it's uh, a, in a lot of ways back to 2019 coverage. And, uh, you know, it's just another step in the right direction. It feels like the world is... Uh, slowly but surely getting back to normal. So, yeah, I mean, the um, the first day of spring training felt a lot like uh, in years past where, um, you know, the players are, are running around and they're coming by you and saying hello and you're catching up with guys that you haven't seen in a while and being able to be there feet on the ground watching infield drills on the backfield or, uh, you know, watching guys take BP and, and trying to see who looks good, who who uh, came into camp in really good shape. Um, you know, I feel like it's it's easier to get a feel for the pulse of what's going on on this team. And, you know, even yesterday, you know, just kind of squatting behind the chain link fence to watch Garrett Cole throw a bullpen and to kind of feel the velocity and the pop in the glove. It's cool. I, I've definitely missed that being that close to, to the game and uh, kind of getting a real feel for what's happening here. You beat me to it. The the most important spring training question of all time, besides her, how do you get the dirt stains out of your clothes when you lay on the ground getting those pictures of uh, pitchers throwing? The, the most important question, though, is I need to know who is, besides for maybe you, I don't know, who is in the best shape of his life? I am not in the best shape of my life, but <laughs> although my tan might be in the best shape of my life, you know, I spent good. a lot it's of time great. over at the minor league complex watching guys like Anthony Volpe and Jason Dominguez. And man, you get baked out there. There is no cover at the minor league complex. Um, who who looks like they are in the greatest shape of their life? Um, you know, a lot of guys. I, I think that uh, one that jumps off the top of my head is Luis Severino. Luis Severino looks strong. He has really used the off season to come back and look. He's he's pitched eighteen innings in the last few years, like since he signed that contract extension but let's not forget that when he signed that extension Severino was one of the best pitchers in baseball that's why the Yankees gave him that deal and I think that he is motivated to come back and reestablish his place in that uh, conversation there um, I mean look he has to stay healthy he needs to make his 32 starts but if he's healthy I, I, I see it I, I see a real possibility that he and Garrett Cole can be that one-two punch that we thought they were going to be before Seve disappeared uh, due to injury. It's strange, and I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, because you know this year, more than ever, it's been so long since a lot of us saw the Yankees on the field. And of course, you know the first spring training games are this weekend, whatever those are going to look like. I think they're going to be weird spring training games because of how quick it's all been. But you mentioned Garrett Cole and Luis Severino, and you have two very different perspectives on how... 2021 ended you know I think both of them have a very different taste in their mouth maybe from how that year ended on the one hand you have Garrett Cole who you know that wild card was a bummer and who knows what was going on who knows what caused it but that's not the way you want your year to end 
And on the flip side of that, you have Severino, who obviously, look, I mean, the 2021 season wasn't what he signed up for. The last few years haven't been what he signed up for. But getting those couple of innings under his belt, you know, the difference, not that he was a huge, played a huge role in the development or the story of the 2021 season, but the knowledge that he went into the offseason and now comes into this new year with those few dominant innings under his belt, you have to imagine that plays a big role in what happens from here. Yeah, I think it's a confidence boost for Seve, for sure. Uh, I know he's been frustrated by the way things have gone the last few years. But, you know, I come back to the the best shape of your life question. And what I notice is he has completely remade his physique. Uh, he is much stronger, I think, in the lower half, especially. And I think for a pitcher, uh, that's what you need. You need your legs underneath you. You, you always hear pitchers talk about that. Oh, I got to get my legs underneath me. And he looks strong, man. Um, I, I think that... He looks built up enough that where I think if you want to talk about him having a 180, 200 inning workload, I think he can be right there and be one of those horses at the front of that rotation. We'll get to more pitching in a bit, but I think the big, you know, joking aside about best ship of their lives and everything like that, obviously the biggest news thus far in Yankees camp is the arrival of Josh Donaldson, of Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Uh, now, the the latest news, I don't think he's there yet, as we say, record this on Wednesday, but Anthony Rizzo. You know, what what have your impressions been on the new guys and how things look for them in the clubhouse thus far and projecting forward for them as well? Donaldson, look, there's a guy who won the MVP in 2015. I, I think that he has played in the American League East a lot. I don't think New York is going to be a problem for him. I think he is going to fit right into that spotlight. I think he's made for that in a lot of ways. And um, so I think that you put that power bat at, at third base and I, I think he's going to add some kind of grit to this clubhouse too. I think he's kind of got the attitude where he's not going to take any nonsense. You know, I, I feel like he's not one of the guys who you can push around and maybe from the other side, especially when he was with Toronto, I'm sure Yankee fans did not like this guy very much, but I think he's uh, you put that personality in your uniform and Garrett Cole didn't like him very much last year either. Let's be honest. I, I think that you put him on your side, and uh, I think you start to warm up to him a lot. I think that Kiner Falefa uh, gives you a plus defender at shortstop uh, and with more room to grow with the bat, I think. Maybe he can put together a complete uh, season. But look, this guy, um, you know, in his first meeting with us, was dropping the names of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and Thurman Munson. I mean, he grew up rooting for the Yankees, so he really is living a dream here. He said that the Yankees were his favorite team growing up in Hawaii. He just didn't tell the other teams that because it's kind of a red flag when you go into the Texas Rangers clubhouse and say, man, I really want to be a Yankee. Uh, you just don't do that. And look, we say this every single year. First off, it takes more than 26 men. We know this. We've seen this every time. Whatever magical lineup you want to create is your opening day lineup. Even if you're right, which who knows if you're right, you've created one out of 162. Baseball season is very long and it takes a lot of people. And this season is going to take a lot of people for sure. Um, you know, obviously it goes without saying that everyone remembers how DJ LeMahieu came to town and what he did in his first two years. So it makes it feel a little silly to be projecting anything as a result of that. My question for you, though, is I don't think anyone has seen a spring training like this where rosters are so much in flux as games are starting. I mean, obviously, look, there are always moves in spring training, you know, things things change, whatever. But I think putting together even an opening day lineup is a fool's errand right now for the Yankees. Do you get the sense that the players feel that, too, that everything is a little bit transitional right now, still, even as we are a day away from games. 
First of all, I take that personally, fool's errand, because that is my errand, and I'm doing that every day, trying to put together <laughs> what their uh, opening day lineup would look like if it started right now. But, uh, you know, look, I remember at spring training, well, probably, gosh, it's been about 10 years now, but I remember we went through an entire spring saying Francisco Cervelli will be the backup catcher. And then the last day, right before they packed their bags and went to New York, they said, sorry, Cervelli, you're going to AAA. Chris Stewart, we just acquired him in a trade. And Cervelli cried at his locker. I remember very vividly standing there and watching Cervelli cry. I mean, it's part of the business, but I, I think that more now than in any other spring, you're aware that the rug can be pulled out from underneath you, especially if you're a guy kind of on the margin. Look, John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge have nothing to worry about. They're coming north. I, I think that uh, when, when you're on the margin and you're fighting for a roster spot now, guys probably have their guard up a little bit more. And I think that, look, trades can certainly happen. I think that everybody kind of wonders where they're going. And look at Isaiah Kiner falefa who went from the Rangers to the Twins and now to the Yankees in the span of about a week. And he's still wondering where his car is. He got lost somewhere along the way. He had it shipped to Arizona, then to Fort Myers. And dude, where's my car? So I think everybody's kind of going through a little bit of that. How, how do you get the impression that whether it's Aaron Boone or Carlos Mendoza or even you know Chad Bowling, the mental health conditioning uh, head for the Yankees, how are they handling some of the oddities of this rapid ramp up Plus that uncertainty we're talking about. Yeah, I think there's just nothing you can do about it. It's the landscape that you're in this year. Hopefully it's a one time only thing and we never have to go through a, an abbreviated spring training like that again. Um, certainly, I think the 2020 summer camp probably helped in a lot of ways. Obviously, this is a completely different situation because it's in Tampa and not in New York. And But there was a lot of that sitting around waiting in 2020, wondering when or if you would get started, same as this year. And then it was hurry, 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 let's go. Let's get ready. Opening day is on July 24. And so I, I think that there's a lot of parallels you can draw between the way the Yankees ramped up for, and all 30 teams ramped up for that pandemic season and for what they're going through now. The only difference is, you know, thankfully we're uh, going to see 162 games this season and uh, they're going to play a full schedule and start just a week delayed. So we're going to have less than three weeks of spring training games before you know it, it all really counts. What are you hearing or what are you expecting these spring training games to look like compared to what they might normally? And frankly, you know, to look ahead as much as we've said that's ridiculous at this point, what are you expecting, you know, April 7th to let's say April 20th to look like when the games count? But obviously no one is stretched out the way you really want them to be yeah you might not see the same distance from starting pitchers and you know to go back to severino uh you know aaron boone said of the yankees starters he's probably the most built up right now which i think speaks to he has been training probably through the entire winter to get ready for this he didn't take a break really so i i think that you're going to see in that first week of exhibition games boone has already talked about they're not going to have any other major league pitchers going those. There's going to be mostly minor league pitchers. I'm sure that the other teams, um, they're going to be doing the same thing because those minor league guys got down to Florida right around Valentine's Day and have been building up for a normal you know, workload this year. So they're really ready to go. Um, I think that you're probably not going to see a Garrett Cole until one or two times through the rotation, for example. But, um, you know, the, the target is obviously to have Cole on the mound April 7 against the Red Sox at Yankee Stadium. And, uh, you know, even though Boone hesitated to announce him as the opening day starter the other day, I think that uh, we can all kind of read between the tea leaves there and read between the lines and know that Garrett will be on the mound. And so will Garrett be going 
five innings on opening day, six, seven. Um, you know, he, he said that he doesn't have any target as far as the workload, but I think that extends to all the guys where uh, they're, they're just going to have to go how their body can feel. And I think that um, when you get out there, when you have the, the baseline introductions and the pageantry of opening day and that first homestand at Yankee Stadium, maybe these guys do find an extra gear and they can find a, an extra three outs in them and get more than five outs, but uh, five innings, excuse me. I think the bullpens are going to be big in that first uh, week of the regular season and probably for a lot of April. And you might see some opener situations and stuff like that too. But the good news is if you're a fan watching these first exhibition games, you're going to see a representative lineup. You're going to see the big boys. You're going to see Stanton and judge and everybody else. LeMahieu in that lineup because these guys need to get there at bats. And, you know, it's now an abbreviated uh, spring training where they need to see pitching because they got to be ready for when the bell rings. How formalized were these pitchers ramp ups going from what you've been hearing from, you know, if most of these guys start throwing in, you know, January and get on a mound, maybe in, you know, end of January, early February, how much did they stick to that exact same routine, even though they didn't know exactly when the season would start? Uh, pretty religiously. I, I think that a lot of guys prepared as though spring training would start on time right around Valentine's Day. And so I, I know that right before the lockout in late November, uh, lockout began on December 1, I believe, and then or then went into effect on December 2. The Yankees sent, uh, and I'm sure other teams did this too, they sent workout plans to all other players and said, all right, listen, we're not going to be able to contact you after this date, but here is what you should be doing on X day, Y day, Z day, you know, continue building from this to this to this, you know. Uh, and so I think a lot of guys, they were on their own. They had to find their own facilities and do that training much the same as in 2020. You know, I, I in my book, the Bronx Zoom, you talk about Garrett Cole have building a mound in, in the yard and throwing and having you know people come over and catch him because they just had to get creative and, and stuff like that. And so, uh, you know, I think that a lot of guys had to go to high school and college fields. I know that certainly happened a lot in Florida, but they did have a game plan, even though they could not contact the, uh, the Yankee personnel to kind of check in and say, Hey, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Um, but I think a lot of guys were able to kind of have the blueprint of what they should be doing. And, you know, once again, I, I go back to 2020 when Matt Blake, the pitching coach, uh, created kind of a Google doc spreadsheet for guys, you know, when they were training from afar, you know, people were, spread throughout the 50 states and in other countries, and but they could all go on to that Google Doc and, and read what they were supposed to be doing or check in and say what I did on this day. So I think that anybody who was on that 2020 Yankees team probably had a pretty good idea of what they should do in spring training 2022. We talked about this at the beginning. You know, you're back in the clubhouse. You haven't been in the clubhouse since the day before, I think, Rudy Gobert uh, came down with COVID. <laughs> uh, March 12, 2020, but who's counting? Yeah, I, you know, I, and, and I'm looking forward to it because I haven't either. I remember at the end of last year, I did a couple interviews. I think Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo and Garrett Cole in the dugout, and that was, like, magical to actually talk to a player without the entire Yankees beat being there. Getting small talk back, getting just human interaction back, how do you feel already in just the couple days has changed things for you I, I mean it feels much more normal I feel like I'm doing my job the way it should be being done now look we are uh, we're, we're wearing masks in the clubhouse we are all have to be fully vaccinated to gain access there but uh, that's a small you know whatever I honestly it, it's just so good to be able to come back and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation as you mentioned you know sitting there with a player I just know that if I were surrounded by 20 or 25 reporters or on a zoom 
uh, it's a lot harder for me to let my guard down. And there's also no opportunity where you can say, hey, don't write this, but I just want to tell you that blah, blah, blah. You can't do that on a Zoom because uh, there's no way to trust that that's not going to get out. And so um, for us, whose job it is to, to gain information and find out things, um, I, I think that it is incredibly valuable to uh, be able to have that face-to-face interaction as far as building relationships. Uh, you know, I just think it's so important for just the the one-to-one personalities that it is and getting to know guys too. I mean, we said that the clubhouse closed in, in March of 2020. There were still guys on this team that I haven't met face to face. He didn't even get to shake his hand and like look him in the eye and say, hello, my name is is Brian. Um, I I think that now is the time we're all going to be playing catch up and vice versa, too. For a lot of these players, we were just kind of these faces on a Zoom screen that they had never interacted with. And uh, so how do you build a relationship doing that? Um, So I I think that this year we can be um, a lot more personable uh, and rather than just being strangers and kind of being at arm's length away or uh, even further than arm's length away from the story that's actually happened in that clubhouse. I always said that the, the biggest thing I felt like I lost was context. Uh, and one of the things that I've gone back to a lot, and I, I think I've said on this podcast a lot, was when he was on the team, I don't know how many times I quoted Austin Romine in a story, but I'd say I spoke to Austin Romine for just about every single story I did because he was the guy who I would say, hey, CC just told me this. Can you help me understand exactly what he means when he says this? Uh, what 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 exactly are the mechanics of this? Or, you know, I was just talking to Jordan. He said this. Is that your understanding of it as well? And again, it wasn't like Austin Romine said, dot, 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 whatever. It was just, I don't understand this. Can you please explain it to me? And it's not even about vulnerability. Like, I mean, it, it, yes, it's hard to be vulnerable on a Zoom. You don't want to embarrass yourself in front of the beat. But also, you just didn't get time. You didn't get five questions on a Zoom with one of these guys. You got one question. And so just the idea of get, being able to get back in there. I know my stories. And I mean, this sounds whatever, like self-important. But I know my stories are going to be more informed. I know my stories are going to be more interesting. I know that I am going to be able to approach things from a more holistic angle because I have a chance to learn more about it and I have a chance to then tell more about it. So I'm really, again, I I come down, I think in a week and a half or so. And I know that that is like, you know, look, we all complain about stand around time in the clubhouse when there are 30 reporters and one player, but it, it, I, I wasn't sure we were getting it back. You know, you've seen a lot of sports move away from the open clubhouse model, and I thought that we weren't going to get it back. And I'm excited to see what it looks like to be back in there. And I'm excited for you guys that you're getting it already. And I think that the stories have been better in the last week. <laughs> I think you've seen it. I appreciate that. I'm glad you brought that up about uh, context because you're right. Remember when you're reading a story, not everybody who's quoted is necessarily who we've spoken to for that story. A lot of times it's about gaining information and uh, in a situation just like that where you're if you're writing that story about cc sabathia who better to talk to than a guy who catches him and you may quote him you may not quote him but you will get something useful or you can get something useful that will add to your story rather than just plugging in a transcript of what a guy said on zoom so yeah i think that uh, the coverage should be uh i hope it is i hope it's a lot more depth this year and uh, you know i hope the readers and the fans out there enjoy it because you know brian cashman always says it The media, we are the conduit to the fan base. When we are writing our stories and going on the air and talking, that is, uh, we are kind of the middleman, the relay system for, uh, you know, for Aaron Boone and for the players and trying to get their message out there. And look, they can use social media too, but uh, I I still think there is a a definite place for us to help deliver and and send the message and tell the stories of what's going on on this team. 
well, look, this is going to be a really exciting season for more than just the beat writers who get to be in the clubhouse. I think the fans are excited for, I think, what knock on wood, knock on anything you want. You know, it's hard to remember at this point almost, but 2021 did not start normally. There, those were very small crowds in there. Uh, you know, obviously, it finished in a sellout at Fenway Park, but that's not how it started. God willing, you know, this this year we are there's still a pandemic. I'm not suggesting everything's fine, but we are looking at what should be a mostly normal baseball season, which frankly, a few weeks ago did not look like that was going to be the case. So I know, I know I'm excited about that, Brian. Obviously, everyone loves following your Instagram account, your hokey happy hour, the adventures of your adorable children, your, your great family. I know your winter was different because <laughs> it, it wasn't your typical baseball writing winter. I'm sure that you, like the rest of us, fielded questions from everyone you knew asking what you knew when the answer was quite literally nothing. There is no information I have that you don't have. What, what did you get to do this winter that was different that you might not have normally gotten to do? Look, uh, I think that having that bonus family time and, and being able to, to be home and not, uh, you know, running around. And I think that, uh, you know, that that I think was a bonus, I guess, in, in some ways. But I would have traded that for a normal baseball offseason and on time report, I think. Uh, you know, I think it was very stressful for, for everybody not knowing when or if we were going to get going. And uh, I'm just happy that chapter has ended. We have labor peace and we're, we're back going here. But, um, you know, I would say that, you know, to answer your question, I guess uh, spending more time with the family. You know, I've got two young daughters, five and three, and they have they were very happy having daddy around. And the one difference is compared to a normal baseball offseason, I didn't have to be on alert that the Yankees were going to make a free agent signing or a trade. You know, I could go, uh, you know, take the kids to the zoo or something and uh, not have to worry that the Yankees were going to make a big trade and I would have to run home to, to write it and call and report. So um, I, I guess the lockout happening was a plus for the kids, but uh, I think for, for baseball fans, we'd rather have it this way. Sorry to the kids. The lockout's over. It's baseball season. Brian, always a joy talking to you. What do you have in the hopper right now? Any, any more books, any more movie projects, any more uh, travelogues that we can look forward to? Why, have I made a movie? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, um, you know, just uh, stay tuned to Yankees.com, MLB.com. We got a lot of covers. The Yankees, uh, the Yankees always provide, as we say. And so, uh, yeah, might have uh, might have some cool things on the way. So, stay tuned to Twitter and Instagram. We'll keep you posted. Well, thanks so much, Brian. And to all of you, thanks for listening to our return episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. I cannot stress enough how happy I am to be talking into this microphone, to be talking to all of you again. We really did miss it. It was very hard uh, for all of us at all parts of the game. I'm sure it was very hard for the players. I'm sure it was very hard for the owners, but certainly for those of us who uh, make our living in other parts of the game, it was a very strange winter, and I'm very happy that uh, spring is upon us. You know, I want to thank you all for listening, and of course, if you're not subscribed, this is the best time. We are back at it, and we're going to be coming to you every other week, so subscribe to our podcast. You can also email us podcast at yankees.com let us know what you're thinking let us know what you want us to talk about we are super excited to say that we finally launched a facebook page i know we are you know really getting right with the year 2009 basically but we're on facebook now so you should follow us there stay up to date on everything we're doing at yankees magazine you'll get information about all of our stories some interesting giveaways all kinds of fun stuff Obviously, we want you to subscribe. If you are a subscriber, you're going to be getting your Spring Magazine very soon. It features the Aaron Judge Q&A that we spoke about earlier and a, a, just a really remarkable, historic cover featuring Tampa Tarpons manager Rachel Balkovich. We're really excited that we were able to do it. If you are ready to subscribe, call 800-GO-YANKS or visit yankees.com slash publications. 
be awfully offer free tickets with subscriptions all kinds of great deals so make sure you check us out and of course if you want to see our content online get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine there you'll find our latest features and obviously follow us on twitter at yanks magazine and like i said join us on facebook so that's it see you next time and go yanks hey this is Giancarlo Stan. if you like what you're hearing why don't you rate and review us and while you're at it tell your friends to subscribe thanks so much and go yankees Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.